No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. Hello, and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So you should feel free to call in with questions at 888-627-6008. Tonight we have a very special guest, but uh, first let me say hello, Marilia. How are you? Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Did you get this the walk shoveled? And you know, we had a catastrophe. I did. I did. I did a lot of shoveling and a lot of taking that really heavy snow off the trees and bushes. And I love it because it's great exercise and I love the snow. Yeah, well, you're you, you know, in Washington, more than two two inches of snow throws us into a, a panic. You can't find yeah. a, a bottle of milk or a or a, a loaf of bread, but I'm <laughs> glad you made it all right. And tonight we have with us, uh, 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 just an iconic journalist here in Washington, D.C., Eleanor Clift, who uh, is now writes for the Daily Beast, but for many years was on one of my favorite uh, TV shows on PBS, The McLaughlin Group. And we're just honored to have you with us, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you. Yeah, and thanks for being back. You've been on once before, so we very much appreciate it. And, right. and you've, you've recently written an article. Uh, I mean, l- let's start there. Uh, you've written an article in the Daily Beast about the uh, about the seventeen judicial vacancies we have here in in the District of Columbia. A quarter of all, almost a quarter of all the seats, a third of all the appellate court judges uh, that are not being approved by the United States Senate. Uh, for our listeners who may not know this, uh, the District of Columbia, one of the um, further uh, injuries that we suffer by not being a state is that the United States Senate has to uh, approve our um, judicial nominees, and they haven't done that. And this That's is right. a real um, especially as, as as you point out in your article with the rise in gun violence in, in the district. You know, we have we've got an increase, I think it's 18 percent in murders in the District of Columbia, more gun violence than we've ever seen before. You write in your article, which really surprised me, that the head of the D.C. Democratic Party, a guy that I know well, took his kids trick-or-treating in a better part of the city. He lives in Anacostia, which is is ground zero for a lot of gun violence. And while he was out, two bullets hit his house. Mm. I mean, just incredible, is it not? Right. Well, um, what caught my eye was a a piece in the Washington Post 
on Sunday, let's see, it was right, um, uh, Sunday, January, so it was after the new, the new year, and it was about, um, it was titled, Alarm Sounded on D.C. Judges. And if you read through the article, way, way buried in the article is this um, mention that the Democratic Party chair in the District of Columbia, Charles E. Wilson, uh, took his kids across town trick-or-treating because, as you pointed out, in Anacostia, where he lives, uh, gun, gun violence is all too common. And when he got back home, he discovered that um, there were random uh, gunshots right around in his neighborhood, and two of them actually hit his house. So he had made the right choice. Well, um, when I, I uh, commented about this to my, my editor that morning, he uh, he quickly Googled this incident to see if it had been written about anywhere else, and it hadn't been. Which is, and Halloween was, of course, the the, the end of uh, of another month earlier in the year, and uh, this was the first time this had been mentioned. And so, it was mentioned in the context of this crisis of uh, vacant seats in the D.C. courts. Now, um, when the Senate adjourned uh, for the holidays, they approved by voice vote more than a dozen federal lifetime judges that Biden had nominated, and everybody was, you know, cheering about that. And I wrote about that too because that was a that was a great victory. But they didn't confirm a single judge for these D.C. courts because these are not. Uh, lifetime positions. They're they're fifteen year term limited positions and they're they're federal judges in the sense that they're they are nominated by the president and they are confirmed by the Senate, but they are local judges. They are our state courts and so in no other state in the country are state courts subject to the whim of U.S. Senators. And the reason the Senate didn't confirm a single judge for the District of Columbia was because Florida Senator uh, Rick, gosh, uh, his Rick Scott, Rick Scott, um, had decided that he was just going to score some cheap political points. And so um, he refused to join in the voice vote, which has to be done by unanimous consent. And he said, I have absolutely no faith that Joe Biden's radical far-left nominees will uphold the rule of law. And with that, with that uh, the District of Columbia didn't get any judges to fill these 17 vacancies, 14 on the, on the Superior Court and three on the Appeals Court. <clears throat> so it's, I thought it was pretty shocking. <laughs> and so um, I, I wrote about it. And, you know, Republicans like to call for law and order, but, you know, if they don't give us the judges, where are we going to get the, the law and order? And um, the district is losing the fight against gun crime. There are ghost guns and guns flooding in from Virginia, which has very scant regulation. Uh, and you can't uh, prosecute uh, violent people if the courts aren't working. And you also can't do a lot of the other sort of business of life. I mean, child custody fights, <laughs> divorces, uh, property disputes. I mean, if, if the courts aren't working. So um, I think it's it's pretty significant. And the judges that are appointed are not, you know, they're not controversial people. They're sort of 
qualified people that come through Republican and Democratic administrations. And both parties actually agree that these seats need to be filled. And so why is it not happening? Because the politics values lifetime federal judicial appointments more than they value uh, filling the, the, the the D.C. courts. And so it's that that second-class citizenship that those of us who live in the district experience all the time. So, you know, it's another sort of slap in the face of 700,000 D.C. residents that um, their court system isn't allowed to to function on the level that it should because we just don't count as much as, I would say, sort of regular states. I mean, we, we function like a state in many ways, but we don't have statehood. Well, you know, before I let my uh, brilliant co-host ask a question, let me just add to that so so that people understand. There are 10,000 criminal cases pending in the District of Columbia. This is, as you point out, Eleanor, this is a serious problem. And, you know, we have a problem as a local community in connecting the dots uh, uh, for you know, what we suffer by not being a state. But this is one of the significant things that that we do suffer. Marilia, do you have a question for Eleanor? Well, um, um, you point out about the, the, the number of um, the cases. Um, the, the courts have just recently uh, started to hold trials again, the criminal courts. <laughs> so they're way, way behind. And um, you know this this makes it more it makes it more difficult because you don't have you don't have the personnel, if you will, to uh, to prosecute the crimes. So um, it's 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 bizarre. It's bizarre that um, that the District of Columbia has to you know go to the back of the line to take care of its to take care of its criminals and to take care of the ordinary business of life that ends up in the, in the courts. And, um, you know, I, I thought I started the article putting the spotlight on on Charles E. Wilson, who the, the gentleman who took his kids across town and then and then came back and, and, and tweeted that um, he, he tweeted, took the kids to Safer Hood because of gun violence. On the way home, got pictures from my neighbor, eight shots and two hit the house, one bullet in kids' room, this is not okay or normal. This must stop. The Washington Post pointed out that that was his way of sending a message to the mayor and to the, the D.C. Council. But it's not that Wilson just wants more police. I mean, he, he, he wants smart, smarter government. He wants government. And to get the courts filled and functional is the seems to me is the least, least that government writ large can do to serve uh, the people and what you pointed out about the backlog of um, of uh, criminal cases, um, it's they've got a backlog under under the best of times. And uh, when you have this kind of um, uh, a, um, a leadership leadership crisis, there's no way. I mean, it's, the, the, there are more people now um, sp- spending time waiting for their trial. Than they would spend if they were convicted, and I mean that's how the the uh, the timing is so out of kilter. Yes. Well, you know, and it's ironic too because the 
there, you've got Republicans always saying to me, Eleanor, you don't need voting representation because you have 535 people that represent you in Congress already because we all live here, which is just nonsense, you know. And Rick right. Scott, by the way, is a a classic D.C. hater. We, we deal with uh, problems from Senator Scott all the time, but... Really, well, that's, we, that's interesting. You know, so, wh- why does he have a B in his bonnet about the District of Columbia? Is it just kind of a, a good cheap you know, political shot? But yeah, we're all well. Two reasons, I think. One is that if you want to cause a problem and you do it in dis- the District of Columbia, it gets noticed. So you can't if you if you're a congressman from Texas, you can't reform the gun laws and. In Texas, you can't make them any more liberal because they're they're so liberal. So you want to build up points with the NRA, you attack the gun laws in D.C., and that makes front page news and and you know and it 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 it, it ups your street creds with the with the National Rifle Association. That's one reason, and another reason is we're all Democrats, and and they just hate us for that. They they you right. know. They, they don't want to do anything for us. Now, let's hear from Marilli, who's not a Democrat. What do you think? Marilli, can you hear us? We're having a few communication problems. Can, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to add to that um, about the, the, the judicial nominations, that the court system is backed up as it is also because of COVID. Pe- judges are sitting home issuing um uh, Decisions and looking at cases away from their clerks who are all home and they barely even see each other. So it's extremely inefficient and it's adding to this backlog. And and people have a choice of whether or not they want a jury trial. Um, jurors, you know, can't come because they're sick. They have to separate jurors. There's just a lot of huge inefficiencies adding to this backlog because the judicial nominations are not happening. It's it's really appalling. Yeah, and well, I, I want to give a shout out to a gentleman named uh, Douglas Buchanan, who is the the uh, communications person uh, who speaks for the courts, and he's 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 actually new new to the job. He came to it last year after his predecessor in that job retired after, you know, some 20, 20 years. And uh, Buchanan, as he t- said to me on the phone, he said, I came over from the fire department. And he, I, and he was, he was kind of shocked uh, at these uh, vacancies, some of them quite longstanding. And as I said earlier, both parties, Democrats and Republicans, agree these seats have to be filled. But neither side is vested enough politically to make it happen. The Democrats, because they got bigger fish to fry in, in getting these uh, federal judges seated lifetime, and uh, Republicans, because it's just it's just low on their priority list. So and and it's it's it, and the D.C. is like a a, a, pun, a punching bag. They like to they like to hit at it every every, every so often. But so D- Douglas Buchanan wrote this really long piece to the to the Washington Post, which he then forwarded to me, uh, basically making the case that this is is an emergency. And he came over from the fire department, so he uses the lingo. He said, "I decided I had to, I had to sound the alarm." And uh, if he if he didn't 
pointed out, I'm not so sure anybody else would have said anything. Um, the the D.C., uh, the mayor and uh, the, the council, uh, pointing out to the problems in the courts gives them sort of a convenient way to, you know, blame uh, the fact that, that, that crime has risen in the, in the district. And, uh, you know, crime has risen for a variety of reasons. Um, and the backlog in the courts certainly certainly doesn't help, but it's not the sole the sole the sole reason. And uh, it, the issue just does, doesn't seem to get the attention that that it that it should. But um, as Senator, Senator Brown pointed out a little while ago, I think there are there are ten thousand criminal cases currently pending in the D.C. Superior Court, which is more than double last year's caseload at the same time. And a, um, you know, there are 14 vacancies out of the 62 judges that sit um, in that court. And um, the Court of Appeals in the district is nine judges, and there are three vacancies, which means that uh, that translates into 200 cases per year will be delayed because of a decrease in the number of panels that can be constituted. So um, this has, you know, real life effects on people's lives. It's not some abstract uh, number, an abstract situation. And these courts, you know, I didn't really un- understand it, that they are, they're term limited for 15 years. They're like, they're like courts in other states where the governor uh, would, would, um, would, would nominate people. But the mayor here doesn't have any control, so the Congress has um, veto veto power, or really, I guess you could call it staying power or slowing power. They can just make everything you know slow up for a, a considerable amount amount of time. Some of these vacancies are have been there for years. It's 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 a mess, and I'm not the only one who uses that word. The um, Councilman who heads the Judiciary Committee in the district has called it a mess. Now he's you, you, you're familiar with him, I'm sure, Senator Brown. Oh, Alan, yeah. Judge, yeah. And, and, and you know that um, um, again, it, it, I think one of the reasons that we don't, you know, the I think it's important that you write articles like the one you wrote, because uh, Marilia lives in Ward 2, I live in Ward 3, you know, when it comes to statehood and some of the, those issues, we are, we're the most powerful wards in the city, and, and you know, we have a pretty good life, right? We have good schools, we're yep. safe, we have, you know, so we don't worry about these things uh, right. the way we should worry about them. And, right. you know, statehood, unfortunately, I believe, uh, for the people of District Columbia is like world peace. We do a survey and we say, do you believe in statehood? And they said, yes. Just like if we asked you, do you believe in world peace? You would you would probably say yes. But uh, are you willing to expend any political capital to get there? Or, you know, what are you willing to do? Uh, you know, we don't we don't worry so much about these things. And today in the Washington Post, there's another article. And what are they worried about? They're right. They're railing on Ted Cruz. Uh, not that I'm against railing on Ted Cruz, but they're railing on him because he wants to affect 
the uh, he wants to get rid of the mandate that the mayor is trying to put in effect for school children to go to to DC public schools to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And and right. and crazy as it seems, any member of Congress can do this. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be on a committee or anything. You can. Any one, any one of them can interfere with our business in the District right. of Columbia. But this yeah, is Senator what upsets Cruz, people, right? Because right. We Senator all Cruz said he's, he's going to introduce this. Now, whether he really does introduce it and whether it really does pass, you know, he's, he, he's, he's wanting to score political points just to do it. But when you think about it, he, 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 he's the, the guy who fled Texas when, when they had their weather problems and went off to, um, I guess it was Cancun, was yeah, caught going to Cancun, saying he was just going overnight, but he had a pretty big suitcase. So, um, yeah, so that, that, that he, coming from Texas, as you pointed out earlier, he can't, he can't make the, the laws in, in Texas any more conservative than they are. So he comes to the district and sees if he can't block the mandate, proposed uh, mandate. Well, the mandate, I think she's put it in place. I think it takes effect uh, in, uh, in March uh, yes. that, that yeah. school kids have to be vaccinated. That's right. I think it's the right decision. Yeah. And, we're, and, and we vaccinate our kids for lots of other things. So, uh, right. We shouldn't do that. Yeah, and sure we should point out that that Eleanor Holmes Norton does have legislation that would that would address this, which would that that would address the the, the backlog uh, in the judicial appointees, which is a very simple thing, um, and it would just impose the same restrictions on appointing judges as is already in place for legislation that affects the district, and that is. If nobody objects in over 30 working days, it becomes law. And so if nobody objects to the uh, nominees that the president of either party, whoever is in the White House at the time, puts forward, uh, they would automatically uh, take take their seats. It would, So they wouldn't have to submit to Senate confirmation, um, which no other uh, state courts in the country uh, have to submit to. Seems to me an easy fix, but nothing is easy to get through this Congress. You get through this. No, it's not. We should point out that in the past, similar types of legislation put forth by by uh, uh, our non-voting delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, she's been pretty successful in getting several of them through. So, you know, the hope would be she'd be able to get this uh, uh, D.C. Vacancy Reduction Act. Uh, yes. Pass. We hope. Anyway, Marilia, I feel like I'm monopolizing the. No, I'm thoroughly enjoying listening to you. Listening to you as always, and 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 of course, listening to Eleanor as I have for several years, ever since the the mid '80s when I used to watch the Rockland Group. So, right. Um, as a as a child, in as, the mid-80s, as a child, when you used to watch it. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Eleanor, for all your your wisdom and your knowledge and and sagacity over the years. Really, you've added and continue to add much needed um, positive view on things and the right view on. Um, Well, thank you. You know, I was with Newsweek for many years, and I was a reporter, so I I I do believe in facts and information, and so. the way uh, we're we're so now completely.
completely driven by, you know, opinion and attitude so yeah. that facts uh, become disposable things or things that uh, some people think they can just change willy, willy-nilly. It's it's very disturbing. I don't I don't know quite how to turn it around either. Um, as we head into this year, where uh, we're 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 fighting a lie that has now been embedded into the into the body politic of that somehow the 2020 election was was not not legitimate. And um, you know, I I, I applaud uh, President Biden for addressing it in a very forceful way in the speech that he gave on 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 January 6. Um, and I'm thinking now that the earlier strategy to sort of not give the former president much attention, to not, not mention his name, uh, mm-hmm. to assume that nobody could get away with calling the 2020 election um, a, a rigged election when it's been examined and reexamined and audits in multiple states. Uh, thinking that po- that could not possibly take hold. Well, it did take hold, and so so now it, you know, you, you wonder if uh, you know the, the 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 President Biden should have made this speech several months ago, and that he needs to make it repeatedly because the yeah. you know the 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 lie has really is is festered and taken hold, and uh, so I welcome the fact that it's now out out in the open and the. You know, the fight is on for our democracy. Well, what about the idea that we constantly, the one thing that that struck me about the speech when he talked about Trump uh, was that uh, it seems to me that we complain that the Republicans are obsessed with Donald Trump, but aren't we also as Democrats obsessed with Donald Trump? Shouldn't we move on at some point, Eleanor, and say, you know, there's something bigger than this man that we have to deal with in this national crisis that we have. I mean, that's one thing that struck me. I thought, you know, it, 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 well, let me ask you this question because you're a journalist, you work with words, by the way, I know you work for Newsweek and, and the first guy I ever worked for was Jimmy Carter and I know you covered him extensively and were a White House correspondent. So let me ask you about the lexicon, the words that we use today. When I listened to CNN over the week and they talked about January 6th, the Democrats called it an insurrection and a riot. The Republicans called it a protest and protesters. Uh, we called, uh, y- you know, uh, the Democrats called uh, the perpetrators, perpetrators and insurrectionists. And, you know, and uh, the Republicans used the language of, you know, that these were like civil rights protesters. You know, these were like the people that walked across the Pettus Bridge. Uh, isn't, don't we have to change the language that we use? Would that, would that I don't happen? think we have to change the language that we use, but um, I, I, there, there's a very good review of some books on the insurrection and on the potential of the civil war it was in the, um, I think it was in the post today. And mm-hmm. it's the first paragraph was that the words you use to describe January 6th say a lot about you politically. And you can, you can, you can see, um, by, um, pre- 
President Biden used the word insurrection, I believe it was 17 times uh, in in that speech. Uh, so I think, you know, Democrats clearly view, view it as insurrection, and so did most Republicans immediately after January 6th. There's been an attempt to rewrite what happened on that day to say, well, it was a protest that didn't just got out of hand. Well, um, the one six committee uh, is it certainly is nowhere near issuing its final report, but some of its preliminary findings are that one six was not a one off event. There was a lot of planning that went into it, uh, and um, you know we need we need to know more about about that that planning. And it looks like it really was an an active attempt uh, by uh, uh, the former president to uh, maintain uh, his hold on the, on the White House. I mean, there were legal papers written. There were uh, various uh, uh, attempts by um, numerous people to uh, portray what went on in the various states as uh, somehow there was illegal uh, behavior, which was not, not the case. So it was not simply a one-off. And this article in the Post that reviews a, a book uh, about civil wars and 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 how 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 they how they're started and what we can do to prevent them uh, is a is 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 a warning to I think to all of us as we look around at the changes that are being made at the state level in critical states that would allow uh, state officials to uh, file an alternate set of electors. Uh, if they don't like the outcome of the 2024 uh, election, so I mean, this is this is serious, serious business going on, and uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't think it's time to just say, oh, let's let's just move on. You can't you can't ignore what happened and what is currently happening, uh, but you also have to do other things. Obviously, you don't want to be overly focused on on uh, the former president. Because he is somebody who uh, thrives on on uh, media attention to the extent that he can get it. I think we missed that boat back in 2016 when when the uh, the Democrats, let's put it this way, which is what Mike was saying. You know, they're they're also obsessed with him somehow. But CNN, that's all they would cover during the primaries, and, right. and you know, I remember watching CNN one time, and I thought I was going to get some coverage on Kasich. And all I got was this reporter on the tarmac waiting for Trump's plane to land. And this was early on in the primaries. And that is all they did. That's what CNN cover was cover him. And so you wonder, is it the media or the citizens, you know, chicken or egg? Is the media taking the easy approach and feeding uh, voters cheap junk food? To a populace that's already bereft of of solid knowledge, which you're referring to, Eleanor, the facts. Well, um, one, one, one media one media executive said he, at the time that he didn't know if Donald Trump was good for the for the country, but he was sure sure good for the media's right. bottom line, especially yes. CNN and television. You're exactly right about that. Oh, yeah, I think the, the, the media oh. does have some culpability here, uh, yeah. and Jeez. and are trying to figure out a way to cover what's legitimate about what Trump is doing and without getting caught up in whatever his latest scam is. Right. 
Well, and I was. Excuse in me. I've, I've got. I've, I've, I'm uh, getting over, um, I guess, bronchitis, which I caught from a three year old grandchild. <laughs> she had a cold. <laughs> But uh, for me, it, no, it's three-year-olds. They're, they're oh, yes, three exactly. They're they're walking germ manufacturers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're petri dishes with legs. I remember. Right, when exactly. Our kids were little. We're little. We all got sick. We all got. I forget what we got, but but uh, they had to vaccinate. They had to medicate us all because we were passing it around between the the, the entire family. But yeah, I was going to say I was in Iowa for the caucuses in 2016, and we went to the Trump party. And I don't know if you remember that Trump lost the Iowa caucuses; he mm-hmm. lost them, I think, to Ted Cruz. But anyway, we went, and we had come from uh, uh, you know different uh, celebrations like the Clinton celebration and you know other things, and we went into the 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 Trump celebration and there were five times at least five times as many cameras at mm-hmm. that event that there was at any other event we went to. We were we were amazed. And then when he lost and it became obvious that he lost, his people even at even at his celebration started to get violent about it. We left because we were, as Democrats, we were worried about, you know, it was uh, it, it, it was uh, a, a, a little obvious that we were out of place as I was there with two black interns and uh, they constituted uh, 50% of all the African-Americans that were in, in a room of 500 people. You know? <laughs> I mean, there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of black people there, but um, yeah, let, let me let me ask you a question about being on the McLaughlin group. You know, it seemed to me that there was such a great interaction of people between, you know, the conservatives who were on the show and you and Pat Buchanan and, and, and John McLaughlin. And, and, and uh, why don't we see more of that today in journalism? Well, you know, John, well, first of all, John died in 2016, no, and uh, the, we we survivors did try to uh, recreate the mm-hmm. sort of the feel of the McLaughlin group, which was a kind of a spirited uh, contest of views, but that was good natured, and it was clear that we were friends and that sort yeah. of thing. And um, anyway, we we um, we 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 had a, we had a good gig. On um, I guess it was the um, was it um, the um, Sinclair Sinclair um, mm. and, and they they were gonna they they were looking for a merger which everyone assumed the Trump um, administration would approve mm-hmm. and that would have put us on their stations throughout the country and then the uh, Trump administration uh, the uh, F FCC uh, turned down their bid, so that was the first blow. I think I think it was the right decision by the FCC, by the way, but it didn't help us. And then we we got um, we were on Channel Eight for a while, and then the pandemic hit, and we went virtual, and it was just very hard to get any kind of advertising base. And so, you know, I think it was a it was we had a good long run, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, but I think bringing it back was was too 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 high a hurdle, so it's over. But um, 
on cable TV now is a lot of back and forth and not as much reporting as I would like. I think, you know, it's it's cheaper for the cable networks uh, to just have talking heads battle mm-hmm. it out and to go out and really cover stories. And I think that's been driven home uh, to those of us in the, you know, the East Coast media circles, how little we know or understand about what's going on in much of the country. And uh, I think newspapers have have tried to breach that uh, more seriously than, than television has. And, and, you know, most people get their news in kind of quick hits. So, um, you know, the, the middle of the country is called flyover country for a reason. I mean, people don't much pay attention. And then it comes as a big shock when we see these some of these states getting redder and redder and people getting more polarized. And um, so we we should be able to figure out a way to heal the very uh, bitter divisions in the country. But, I mean, Joe Biden was elected on a promise that he would try to do that. And I do think he has tried. He mm-hmm. hasn't met with a whole lot of uh, success. They did pass the infrastructure bill, uh, which... Um, both parties need and the country needs people and that that was a good thing but there are a lot of other problems that need to be addressed that you need to really do it on a bipartisan basis and bipartisanship really does seem to be um, impossible to achieve at a level where you can overcome that 60 vote uh, threshold uh, for the filibuster which is why you have now a big press uh, 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 press by the White House and the Senate Democrats to try to do away with the filibuster because if you're never never going to be able to reach 60, you're basically, you might as well shut down the Senate. Can't do anything. Yeah. Well, and you know, the when you use the word that, that friendship, that, that you were obviously friends on the show, I think that's so important because that's the problem that I think that one of the problems we have today is that you tell me you're a Democrat and I know everything about you. You, I tell you I'm a Republican, you know everything about me. You know, we really, we really don't connect much anymore, which is one of the reasons that on my show, you know, I wanted to have Marilia as a co-host because Marilia and I are friends. Uh, Marilia was appointed by two Republican presidents to different offices I've been a Democrat my whole life, but uh, we don't have any problem. We don't agree on on, on everything, but uh, but we have respect for each other, and that's really ooh, absolutely. I think it's really missing in, in his respect for for, well, for both sides. I think it was pretty startling to see um, Liz Cheney accompanied by her father uh, at the one six commemoration in the Congress and. You know, Democrats coming up to shake Dick Cheney's hand, or maybe maybe fist bump. I don't know. Uh, and he was once um, considered Darth Vader, and certainly, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody is is, is applauding uh, his his uh, decisions he made to uh, for the Bush administration to invade Iraq. But he still he still respects the fact that in a in our in a democracy in a republic, somebody wins and somebody loses, and there's a peaceful exchange of power, you know, and uh, uh, and so 
he he, he certainly I thought his presence was welcome. Uh, and I agree. In the Capitol, and it was it, it it was a nice moment. It was bad that he and his daughter were the only Republicans who were oh, there. Exactly right. That was pathetic, wasn't it? They're all drinking Trump's Kool-Aid, and I just don't understand why. I mean, obviously, we know why. It's so they can get voted. But at at some point, you have got to let go and think, what is more important, my integrity, even that. You would think that they would right. think about but that's gone. Right, right. What do you think um, about Liz Cheney's bid for re-election? I mean, she, you know, that Wyoming only has one member of Congress because they don't not a very populated state. And it is a, um, whoever gets the plurality in in a very crowded primary, I understand, wins. So she, I think she still could win, but I, I don't know if you thought about that. Is she, if she loses her seat, what does that say? If she, if she is able to retain her seat and continue, what does that say? And does she have a political future as somebody who's identified as a Republican? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think that that um, it may be time for Liz Cheney to think about declaring herself as an independent to avoid the primary. I don't know uh, if she loses. I think it's a terrible blow because it, it reinforces the idea that you've got to be a Trumper to get past the primary. You know, I think a lot of these people uh, feel that uh, they, they they don't really stand behind Trump, but they understand that if that it, that they need to get through the primary before they can get elected in the District of Columbia. If you win the Democratic primary, you go out on election day and give out donuts. That's what I do right. to campaign workers because no person that's ever won the Democratic primary has ever lost the general election. Which, which is a problem for us sometimes on the Hill. But, but you know, so I think it would be horrible that she loses the Republican primary. And, and you can bet some Trumpers are going to run against her, right? So, uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's very tough. And she may try to think of some alternative strategy to get around being primary down. I think in yeah. November had um, poll ratings of our approval ratings of around 19 percent. I remember Trump lit into her about that because her approval ratings are only 19 percent. That was back, I think, in November. Well, that, that uh, in Wyoming. Well, I think the, the Republican Party in Utah, didn't they um, censure her or something? Yes. But, you know, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, because Alaska is a very independent state. Uh, she ran for re-election as an independent, and they ha- they had to spell her name. And Murkowski's not that easy a name to spell in, in order yeah. for the votes to count. And she pulled it off. She she won as an independent. She's facing a very tough situation coming up well, in, you know, uh, in November. We saw it with Susan Collins too in Maine, who was relatively popular. Yeah politician and she was hanging on by her fingernails yeah. uh, a lot of people thought she wasn't going to get elected yes. uh, uh, because of her her you know the the uh her closeness to trump you know they they nailed her for be for 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 
because Maine is, you know, even the Republicans in Maine, much like the Republicans in Democrat in uh, Washington, D.C., tend to be way more liberal than the average Republican. Right. And, you know, and she almost didn't make it being because of her, her association with Trump. So, yeah, it, it, it I think the 2022 is going to tell us a lot. I hope that I hope that uh, we can hold on to the House because it's a slim majority. Uh, as you've already said, uh, Eleanor, I believe that, that it's going to be a long time before we get 60 Democrats in the United States Senate. Uh, right. uh, but uh, uh, I, I don't know what to say at this point. You know, I told you before, before we got on the air that my family never asked for my political opinion anymore because I was the guy in 2016 that said Trump could never possibly get elected. It was just outside the realm. I've been in politics 40 years and I can tell you there's no way this guy can get elected president. And, you know, obviously um, that one of the exciting things about politics, I think, is you never it's really hard to predict things. And I think Well, you, if the Republicans better, gain I, control of the House, which now looks like very much within their reach because they only yeah. need to pick up five seats and they've almost done that with de- redistricting, yeah. um, they they are they are likely to return the favor and and um and impeach uh President Biden. I mean they they they, they view uh, Trump's impeachment as 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 something that um, was politically motivated and was groundless and all of that, uh, and so they would return the favor and do it with um, with Biden. I, I mentioned that to my son who was visiting for Christmas, and he said, "Teach him for what?" <laughs> and, you know, and there doesn't have to be a reason. That's the whole point. I mean, the Republicans are willing to cross. Many lines. They they they'll find a reason. Now they'll they'll never convict him. They'll never convict him. But they could make a whole lot if they could just they could just turn a body that isn't functioning very well into something that's totally dysfunctional. I mean that's that's my concern. And and if they don't if they don't go through with impeachment, you know there will be lots of investigations of this that and the other uh, if they get power. I don't see them. You know, trying to to do any legislation, not with a Democrat in the in, in in the White House, and they didn't do much legislation when they had when they had the White House in, in both houses of Congress. They did the tax cuts, which they didn't pay for, and which they did through reconciliation, which are two things that Democrats are getting uh, uh, criticized for by using that reconciliation process so that you can get through with fifty one votes. And not fully paying for the Build Back Better bill, although it's mostly paid for, which is un- unusual for Congress. Anyway, it's you know it's the, the the taunts go back and forth between the two parties. And if you're somebody out in the country and you're just trying to get through the day and take care of your kids and keep your job and all that, it's just like so much noise. And um, so, and the Democrats don't don't do well when when it's considered like there's nothing but noise coming out of Washington. Right. And, you know, uh, I mean, you're right on about impeachment. We should remember that Andrew Johnson was impeached for a violation of the 
uh, Tenure of Office Act. He fired right. he fired a postal worker who had tenure, and that was the basis of, on which he was uh, on which he was impeached. So it really doesn't think you know it doesn't take a whole lot to 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 right. make it. To, to start the process, right? It's more about Right, exactly, exactly. Um, you mentioned the Postal Service. Um, I live, obviously, in the District of Columbia. I got a mail delivery today for the first time in a week or 10 days. Wow. Um, apparently, the mail has been piling up in the Brentwood uh, counting station or whatever, and there were only, I'm told, there were only four workers there at out of I don't know how many, but everybody was kind of down with COVID. And so literally no mail until today. And then I got a pile of mail today. And wow. uh, But all in the um, Northwest uh, listserv, you know, people have been blaming uh, Louis DeJoy, the, the postmaster, um, the postmaster, head of the right. postal service, who was a Trump appointee. It's apparently not his fault. It's it's COVID. It's uh, COVID is is you know, reaching workers in just about every facet. In the in the the dispute over uh, the schools in Chicago and I think in Wisconsin about whether to keep them open and the teachers unions resisting, wanting to go virtual because of the, the surge in uh, Omicron. I think I think it was the head of the teachers union in Wisconsin who said, you know, "If you open the schools, where are you going to get the people to? Where are you going to get the hundreds of thousands of of teachers and personnel to staff the schools? Because everybody's got COVID. I mean, it really is uh, it really is sweeping sweeping through the country here in in January as we start start this year. And you know, I got to tell you, my wife who's the head librarian at a high school in Virginia, was just informed that she'll be expected to teach classes. Uh, I mean, she does teach classes in the library, but she's going to, she's going to be expected to abandon her, her, her teaching schedule and fill in because there's so few teachers and they're even using, you know, maintenance personnel, uh, janitors and and other people just to watch the classrooms because they have so many, they have so many people out. Well, uh, yeah, and you know, I, I don't get it, Eleanor. Uh, Marilli is a scientist. Maybe she can explain it to me. But uh, when you constantly turn it on the TV and hearing that seventy percent of all the COVID cases in hospitals are people that are 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 not vaccinated. I just don't understand. You know, I have people in my family, not in my immediate family, but in my extended family. I have a nephew that that refuses to get vaccinated, whose mother is a nurse. And and, and I really don't get that, you know. It's it. You don't even need to know science. The vaccines yield results. And that's what the problem is. Yeah. And, and, And Omicron is extremely transmissible. So it, the, the numbers go up. Luckily, it doesn't have so much pathogenicity as the Delta or the previous one. But it doesn't mean that we're in we're home safe because what it means right. is it's mutating and mutating. And who knows what's going to come up? The more the virus right. circulates, population, the more mutations we have. And and it's 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 the draw. It's the you know throw of the dice. What's going to come up? What's the next one? 
We don't know. Right. Well, I got to tell you, we're we're starting to run out of time here. One thing that 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 I want to say to you is that yes, I mourn the loss of the McLaughlin group because I think you know the fact that you were friends and you could have these discussions uh, really said a lot. And I got to tell you that one of my favorite, and I'm pretty sure this was on the McLaughlin group. Uh, one of my favorite quotes was Jack Germond after. <laughs> After um, uh, Clinton said he he smoked but he didn't inhale, who made the comment that he couldn't vote for Bill Clinton because he couldn't vote for a guy that was too stupid to figure out how a joint worked, and, <laughs> and uh, I mean he said it tongue in cheek, but though I, and I was a Clinton uh, a delegate, I you know I I love Bill Clinton, but yeah somebody should have pointed that out right like come on Bill you yeah. you smoked but you didn't inhale come on. You know, so it's important to, to to say those things, I think. And Germont had a lot of them, as you well know. Um, but I miss Well, McLaughlin. when I first started doing the show, um, he would always be sitting there ahead of time. He'd be either doing a crossword puzzle or he'd be uh, working on his racing form, the, the horses <laughs> he was going to bet on. And, you know, I'd be diligently reading the, the, the newspaper or the New York Times or some clips or whatever, and he'd look over at me and he said, Eleanor, it's just television. It goes out there and breaks into a million pieces. It doesn't have the power of the written word. Well, I'd like to believe that, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> I mean, he... He he, well, he he denigrated good, television, so, but so, um, he, he certainly en- enjoyed the time that he that he spent on it. He was he was I, a lot of fun. I think he embodied what he said because every time you would see him, he was leaning back on his chair as if he was really not into it. You know what I mean? I mean, oh yeah, and the chair permanently uh, uh, is bent. Actually, the, the, the chair. Kept leaning even after he long after he left the show. <laughs> well, Eleanor Cliff, thank you so much for taking fifty-five minutes out of your day to be with us. We so much appreciate your input. I wish you a happy new year. Uh, uh, thank you, Morelia, once again for being on the air with me. And uh, we leave you with the song. We leave a song. We, we leave a. a uh, every week with a song usually dedicated to our guests. This is an okay. old, an oldie but a goodie by the Turtles. Uh, somebody suggested I, I play Eleanor Rigby, and I thought playing a song in, in, in your honor about a depressed woman who was lonely and, and, and wasn't, wasn't appropriate. So we picked this song by the Turtles. I hope you like it. It's from the 1960s. Here's Eleanor by the Turtles. We'll see you next week.